This is the People in Their Work podcast. I am Professor Doug Gardner in the Student Leadership and Success Studies Department at Utah Valley University. In this podcast, you will hear the first-person stories of people journeying through their education, work, and career decision-making. In this episode of the People in the Work podcast, we will hear from Jessica Day George, a New York Times bestselling author of young adult fantasy novels. Jessica lives in Utah. She shares her story of becoming an author and what working as an author is really like. This episode was recorded at the Utah Valley University Love of Reading Conference. I am Jessica Day George. I am the New York Times bestselling author of over 15 books for young adults as well as middle grade readers. All of them are fantasy, which is what they have in common. Um, I live in the Salt Lake City area of Utah, but I am originally from Idaho. I've lived in Delaware and New Jersey. And I decided that I was going to be a writer when I was 11 years old. I was in fifth grade um, and I was a very good reader. I did not love reading, but I was a good reader. I could read all the hard words and I liked getting coupons for free pizza for reading so many books and things like that. And the accomplishment of reading, of being the top reader in my class, but I did not love the books I was reading until at the end of fifth grade when my teacher, who otherwise was not my favorite teacher, she was rather mean woman, to be perfectly honest. And she had discovered, however, that I did not remember anything that I was reading, that I would read the same books over and over and turn in book reports. And not because I was trying to cheat, but because I didn't remember reading the book the first time. Uh, I thought I had read all the Ramona Quimby books because I did enjoy those. And then a few years later, just for fun, I decided to read them all in chronological order and realized I'd only read two or three of those books, but I'd read them so many times, I just assumed I had read like 20 Ramona Quimby books. And so this fifth grade teacher sort of figured out that what I was doing was not trying to cheat, which is what she originally thought, but just not retaining anything I was reading because I was so bored by it. And so she kept kind of encouraging me like, we'll find something else, we'll get something else, we'll do something else. And I'm like, I don't know where to go and what to do because I grew up in the time before Harry Potter. I grew up when there was really no such thing as a graphic novel. There were comic books, but only weird boys read them, you know? And, and so I kept looking at her bookshelves in the room, trying to pick a new book for my book report. And she kept pointing out that, well, this is a book about a dog. Well, the dog will probably die. Well, this is a book about a horse. Do you like horses? Yes, but that horse will die, you know? And uh, Babysitter's Club, no, not into babysitting. And she had one book on her shelf, that had a dragon on the cover and it was called The Hero and the Crown by Robin McKinley, still in my top 10 favorite books of all time. And I had never seen a book with a dragon on the cover except for my sister's copy of The Hobbit, which I was not allowed to touch because it was my older sister's copy of The Hobbit. And so I took The Hero and the Crown home and I was amazed. Um, I'm a redhead. This was about a redhead. She wasn't very good at dancing or sewing or doing other princessy things and she was a princess. And I was never good at dancing or sewing or things like that. And so I felt like, wow, this girl is just like me, except she has a horse that doesn't die in the book she has a magic sword she goes out and slays dragons and she fights evil wizards and I thought 
this sort of thing happens in my head all the time. This was always what I was thinking when I was riding my bike around. I would be thinking, what if I was riding a unicorn? Well, I would jump on my trampoline. Just I would jump in circles. I, we had a trampoline my entire life. I've never learned to do any tricks. I can barely do a flip. But I would just jump in circles because I would be thinking in my head, like, imagine I was riding a horse down the beach or on a racetrack or flying on the back of a dragon. I would think about this all the time. I would imagine that our weird little poodle mix dog was actually a wolf and I could telepathically talk to her and things like that. And so I read this book, The Hero in the Crown, and I thought, there's stuff like that out there that's written down. Someone paid Robin McKinley to write this book. This is a job you can have. I discovered that you could write books about the stuff that happened in your head. Dragons, living in magic castles, talking to wolves, and people would give you money. It's a career choice. And I decided that's what I was going to do when I was in fifth grade. I went out and from then on, I told everyone who met me that I was going to be a writer like Robin McKinley when I grew up. And um, my, I told my parents and my parents have always been very supportive. They're like, that's great. They, anytime there was a chance for me to go meet an author, they would pull me out of school so I could go attend like a college class. Orson Scott Card's lecturing over at the local college, like go meet him. And when I was 16, they actually found out that uh, Robin McKinley was going to be at BYU and they pulled me out of school for three days so we could go down and I could meet Robin McKinley. And it was so amazing. And I still have it. She signed my copy of The Hero and the Crown to Jessica with Aaron colored hair because the hero of the hero in the crown has red hair and I just like I still treasure that book I had to buy another copy as well so that I could read the other copy and like keep the signed copy pristine and I was just I I asked her all these questions like so if I write a book do I need to do this and and got all this advice from her and from other authors and never actually wrote anything for years because I'm also very lazy just the idea of being able to have that as a career choice was was enough for me for quite a few years um and I made up stories in my head all the time and I would occasionally scribble down like little scenes or dialogue or something like that in like my little Cabbage Patch Kid journal that somebody had given me and and I have like some little scribblings in this Cabbage Patch Kid journal I still have it to this day and um and uh but I never wrote like a whole story or tried to write a book or anything until in eighth grade it was assigned because again I am lazy so if you give me a deadline and and a clear project I will do it but otherwise I would rather lay on my couch and read a book so I was given the assignment to write a short story in eighth grade and I wrote this very very tragic Romeo and Juliet-esque story about warring elves and it was called the sky elves and it was it was very odd and um, looking back it's like I wish I had a copy of it just because it was so embarrassing and I don't think I have a copy anymore but um, and I just sort of like you know handed this in and waited for everyone to like praise my genius and um, and and they did actually so uh, I mean, not to be too arrogant about it, but I did, I did get an A plus. And also my teacher entered it in, in a contest that the English department of the junior high was doing. And I actually won the contest and I got a Walden books gift certificate and went and picked out some fantasy books with it. And it was so great. And then my English teacher said, you know, Jessica, this story is so good that you could actually quit school right now and just be a writer. And I was like, yes. I will do that. I actually cleaned out my locker. I took everything home and I said, Mrs. Wilcox says that I should just quit school right now and be a writer. And both of my parents marched me back to school the next day and we went straight to Mrs. Wilcox's classroom. And my parents were so mad because they're like, she hates math and science. She, she's a gym, like don't do this. And she's like, oh, I didn't think she would make 
take it literally, literally. I'm like, you lied to me. You told me to quit school. <laughs> but no, I had to stay in school. And I do recommend staying in school. I actually had a very good time in school. Um, and so I, I did graduate from high school. And then I went to BYU. And uh, what I studied, which surprises a lot of people, is I did not study writing at BYU. I actually... Uh, my degree is in humanities, and then humanities, you have to have an emphasis, and my emphasis isn't English either. Uh, my emphasis is comparative literature, which is sort of non-English literature, like reading it in the original language. So I was required to be fluent in at least two languages, and um, and uh, I am fluent, or I used to be <laughs> fluent in German and Norwegian. And so then you would just select classes from the literature. And I, I did this very well thought out. I actually had changed my major a couple of times. My older sister, who had um, graduated in English and journalism and is a high school English teacher now, she was uh, like telling me, you know, I don't think you'll do well in just a straight English class because there's lots of poetry. I'm not huge on poetry. There's lots of... Um, you know, lots of sort of essay writing and poetry and things like that. And she's like, I really think you'd more enjoy humanities because you love stuff about history and you love art and all these things. And she's like, I bet it would give you lots of good ideas for your books. And so I did. I went to humanities and did humanities, and it was absolutely perfect for me. I found out all this stuff. I took a class on Victorian humanities and found out all the freaky, weird things. The Victorians were such weirdos and learned all this stuff about the Victorians. And there was a class that was required. You had to take two semesters of uh, like Asian humanities that just concentrated on the art of, of China and Japan and Vietnam. And it was so fascinating. It was so different from anything I'd seen. And and you read read books and you listened to music and all these things that went along with it. And so it was much more well-rounded than if I had just taken English. And there is nothing wrong with that. But that's just how I sort of gathered ideas for my books. I was continually taking notes of like I had a separate notebook that I took notes in of stuff I might want to use in a book. I've kept several of my textbooks because I would circle or highlight things that, you know, had nothing to do with the requirements of the class, but I would just think, you know what? That is a really interesting, that person was really interesting. This is a really unusual painting. I might want to reference that in a book. So I was just always looking for stuff. And then when I did the, my, my languages, um, I picked German and Norwegian, Long story short, my dad uh, served a, an LDS mission in Germany, and we'd grown up kind of hear, hearing German around the house, and I took German all through high school and, and really love it. And then uh, my family is Scandinavian, and so I took Norwegian and because I was very interested in the Vikings and my heritage and stuff like that, and I took Norwegian. It's a beautiful language and actually easier than a lot of languages conjugation-wise. Just an FYI, if you're looking for a language credit, go Norway. Um, <laughs> but then when you once you could read well in that language, you got to pick like what kind of classes that you would take in that. So I took a, a class, um, you know, on German fairy tales. I took a class on basically Norse mythology. I took a class on like postmodern Scandinavian novels, essentially like the crime novels where, you know, a ghost did it and some things like that, just to get lots of unusual ideas and studied a ton of fairy tales, wrote a ton of papers 
on fairy tales why is the cinderella story so appealing that underdog tale like why is that so appealing and it really helped me understand what works and what doesn't work in a book in a story like you know if you if your hero is the smartest the most beautiful the most talented the most skilled there are zero stakes you have no doubt in your mind that that person is going to win because they already have everything they're rich talented beautiful educated they're the winner. You already know that. And so it really helped me understand reading fairy tales and mythology where people are orphans or disinherited. That's, I mean, that's why there's so many orphans in children's literature is because you're really rooting for them because they've already had a hard time. And also because parents will absolutely not let you go through the wardrobe into Narnia. They just won't let you do it. So, you know, I would never let my kids go into a dragon's cave, clearly. And so they would need to be orphans to have a real adventure, my children. So, um, but st I studied all that, uh, studied, um, I even took classes on just like pottery and some things like that just to kind of see how is this actually made? How does that work? If I put this in a story, would it be interesting or is it very, very boring to watch someone make pottery? And it can be very, very boring. But um, I just sort of took all these different things and did manage to come out of that with a degree. But I also came out of it um, completely by accident, uh, sort of... I won't say demoralized, but I will say that I, I got sort of my, my bubble got burst. My dream got sort of shattered along the way at college completely by accident. I, I took one class, one writing class. I didn't even have to take it, but there was a very famous visiting professor had come and he was going to teach this one writing class this one semester. And I thought if I could get into that and have like this famous I'd never, I'd never heard of him and have no idea what he even wrote, but there, everyone was sort of whispering about like, oh, you have to turn in a, an essay or a short story to, and he has to approve it to even get into this class. And I thought just even for the, the, um, just sort of like winning a contest. You basically had to win a contest with your writing. And so I had done, you know, since that first story about the battling elves, I had done quite a few contests, reflections contest in junior high and high school and things like that. And, and not to be arrogant, but I had in fact pretty much won the whole time. I actually won the PTA reflections contest nationwide and the only existing copy of that story which I really wish I had back is apparently in the Library of Congress now and I have no copy of that story and I've always wanted to look at it again or recreate it or something but um so I just kind of for the win wanted to turn in a short story to this guy and see if he would let me in his class and he did and so I got into this writing class and quickly realized but not quick enough to drop the class that it was a huge mistake because he was teaching how he writes and how he wrote, he was actually, it turned out a nonfiction writer. And um, so he wrote, he had us all writing personal essays, which is something I was not interested in. And it was exactly the way he would write a personal essay or you failed. And so, and so he would grade us not on grammar, not on style, not on voice, but on the topic of the essay, basically, and since they're personal essays, you're grade, you were graded on your personality. One of the essays was about like, you know, like sort of like, did you have a good time in high school? The topic was basically like, what were you like in high school? And I sort of poured out my 
heart about like how I, I loved winning these these essays, but I did get, you know, people gave me a hard time about always carrying around some big fantasy book, like I looked like such a nerd type of thing. And I got a B because I was arrogant. Literally my paper said B minus, you're arrogant. There were no notes on any of the writing. There was nothing I could take from that. Just I'm a B minus person who's arrogant. And so finally, almost towards the end of the semester, um, you know, I turned in the story, which again, was like, you know, this is back before computers and saving things on disks. And I had typed it out on like a, on a, on a typewriter and I wanted the copy of my story back. I asked him if he still had our stories and if I could get it back and the next day he brought it to class. And so when he handed it, he just handed it to me with no comment. And I'm just like, so I'm very curious what you thought of this story. And he said, well, I only let you into the class because you have a little bit of talent and I would hate to see you throwing it away by writing trash for children. Now this, this man was married with like four kids and the way he said children just was like curdling the blood, like children, you know, it's like, it's like Roald Dahl's The Witches or something like that. And I had written a story about a young girl who discovers that she does in fact have a guardian angel, but it is actually a dragon and the dragon, it's, it's her, when, when people in her family die, they turn into a dragon and they pick someone else in the family to be their guardian angel. And I was very proud of the story and I still would love to publish the story somewhere. And it's trash for children. It's trash because it's fantasy and for children is throwing away the little bit of talent that I had. And I absolutely took that to heart. This man has to know. He's this very famous professor. So I listened to him. And since he was the only writing teacher that I had my entire time at BYU, I just assumed that that was going to be the consensus of anyone else. And I actively avoided after that any classes that had a lot of writing in them because I did not want anyone else to tell me that because I did still really want to be a writer. And I thought if more than one person tells me this is trash, don't waste your time, you only have a little bit of talent, that would just be so crushing. Because at that point, it had been almost 10 years that I had been walking around, I'm a writer, I'm gonna be a fan, I'm gonna be the next Robin McKinley when I grow up. And so I thought, I can't do it, I'm just gonna do my best with what this guy has said to me and what he had basically said and the authors that he admired were very serious adult authors, people who wrote serious, gritty books for grown-ups only and um, so I left, when I left college with my humanities degree intact and, and a new giant computer because I'm old, um, and I sat down to write books and I basically had to stifle all of my natural inclina inclinations every time I sat down at the computer. If I thought of funny dialogue, I deleted it. If I thought of an idea that would be like, oh, what if you were, what if, you know, and this, I have to say, even before, before I read the, right before I read the first Harry Potter book, I actually thought, what if you went to a private school and turned out some of the classes they taught were classes in magic? So I also hit on that idea. But I think J.K. Rowling did it much better than I ever could have. Um, I love Harry Potter. But um, yeah, I, I, whenever I thought like, hey, what if you had the option to like, what if some of your electives in high school were magic electives or something like that? And I would absolutely throw that story away because it was trash for children. And, um, or, and, and whenever I started to write, my main character's voice always seemed like they would be a, a teenage girl, um, or sometimes even a teenage boy, but always a teenager. And I would just 
add 10 years to their age and make them swear so that it sounded like they were an adult is basically what I was doing. I will just add 10 years to this person's age and they will swear a lot and that's how people will know they're an adult. Naturally, every main character, side character, every almost everyone that pops into my head is usually a teenager or even younger or occasionally a parent of one of those teenagers. And I would just add 10 years to their age and pretend that it was going to be okay because I wanted to be an author. But in order to be a real author, you had to write real books and real books are for grownups. So, um, but everything I've ever tried to write in my life has popped out as fantasy, no matter what I do. Um, it has, there's some magical element in there somewhere. It's a story about a girl and her dog and she's telepathic with the dog, you know, things like that just keep happening. And so I thought, well, at least I can go with urban fantasy, which was very, very popular at the time. And so I, I wrote, I spent nine years writing these books. Um, I wrote two books about uh, basically homicide detectives. They were like crime novels. I'm terrible at it. I cannot describe a good murder to save my life. Um, I could, if I will, I, I'm an easy person to be murdered. I have no techniques for getting away from a murder or anything. I'm terrible at it. But, um, but I tried because it was the popular thing and they were homicide detectives, but they also used magic to solve magical crimes and things like that. And the blood splatter everywhere and people swearing and drinking and, and getting acrimonious divorces left and right so that I would be taken seriously as a serious author. And they were terrible. And I have always wanted to write a book about King Arthur. I love the Arthurian legends and I wanted to write sort of like a modern retelling of King Arthur. And I worked on that book for years. I worked on it with a writer's group and the feedback from my writer's group and the feedback from every agent and editor that rejected me. And there were so many said, this sounds like this would be for teenagers. And uh, we don't publish that, but thanks. And my, my writer's group was just like, why do you keep writing these books for kids? They were all writing books for adults. And they're like, I don't even know if these were teenagers, I wouldn't even know how to critique this because I don't read children's books. And so I sort of had no backup and nowhere to go. And I spent nine years, I wrote seven adult novels. None of them looking back now are for adults. They are all young adult novels that I am pretending the characters are adults. I have one that's set at, at a graduate school. They should absolutely be at some private boarding school and they should be about 14 years old, but I'm pretending they're 24. You know, I have homicide detectives. They are not homicide detectives. They are children pretending to be homicide detectives. My King Arthur story should absolutely be about young King Arthur, and but I tried so hard because I wanted to be a real author. And, um, and I just kept trying and it was funny. I even, I started to think if I do get published, I think I'll probably use, use a pen name because um, I don't want anyone who knows me really well to read these books. I spent years of my life working on books I did not want anyone in my family to read. Not that they were actually that shocking or scandalous, but just because my husband, when we first got married, was he was so excited. He's always been so supportive. And he started reading my very first, the Homicide Detective manuscript. And he got about halfway through and he's like, um, I'm sorry, but I don't want to read anymore. And I'm like, oh, is it is it gory? Is it? And he's like, I don't like it. He's like, it doesn't sound like you at all. He's like, if this didn't have your name at the top of the page, I wouldn't think you had written this. He's like, you're funny and you love funny stuff. And he's like, you cover your eyes and like, like, all the movies and stuff like that. Like, why are, why are you writing this? And I'm like, well, I want to be like a famous author. And he's like, but do you want to be a good author? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, 
was a very troubling time in the early days of our marriage. But, um, <laughs> um, and I got lots of feedback from, you know, sending out manuscripts. I, I, I've probably been rejected by every single publisher in North America. Um, so the US and Canada, and at least once, and some of them several times. Um, and so I would send out these manuscripts and sometimes it'd just be like, no, dear author, no thank you, like very form letters. I, I have one or two rejections that say things like, this is exactly the kind of book I hate. That's a fun one. It's written in crayon, actually. The guy scribbled across my letter describing my book. He scribbled across it in professional black crayon. This is exactly the kind of book I hate. I didn't know what to do with that, but um, I did save it. I scrapbooked all my rejection letters. I have over 200, and um, I have this huge scrapbook. It's so heavy, I can't carry it around anymore. But um, I wrote all these books for nine years, and then I got sort of the 220th rejection, and I had just had a baby. I was having some issues with depression and got this rejection, and actually it was such a terrible rejection because it was for my King Arthur novel, and it wasn't that he had a problem with anything to do with it, um, like my writing style or anything like that. His problem was he, uh, it was a literary agent and he said he didn't want to accuse me of plagiarism, but one of his other clients has also written a book about King Arthur. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy thinks that his, his author created King Arthur. The gist of the letter is that he's uncomfortable with the fact that I am writing a book about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table when his other client wrote a book about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round. And I looked up that guy's book and there's literally, that is the only thing in common with my manuscript. So I honestly think this man thinks that his, thinks that his author that he represented created King Arthur. And I thought, these people are so dumb and I am so miserable. I can't do this anymore. And um, the good rejections that I had gotten though were all things that said like, love your writing style. This is a fun idea. I do not believe that these people are adults. I had gotten one that one that I had been thinking when I came up with the idea, it was like, oh, what if you went to a boarding school and you know, there's a ghost kind of thing. And somebody's like, and of course I made it into graduate school because they're adults. And somebody's like, if you put this at like a private boarding school, like somewhere back east, it would be so much more fun. We don't publish kids books though, so good luck to you. Because this is just, first it was before Harry Potter and then it was like the early days of Harry Potter and there still was not a wide range. They really were not actively seeking um, children's book publishing. You had Narnia, you had The Wizard of Oz, you had Little House on the Prairie, and that's what kids read, and that was good. You know, Ramona Quimby, that was all kids need, right? And then once they graduated, once you finished The Chronicles of Narnia, you moved right into Crime and Punishment, and and you were a grown-up now, you know? And so there was nothing, there was not a whole lot of new books being published. And so um, there are huge publishers now that ha did not exist back then that published solely children's books. There are companies that now have a huge children's line that did not exist back in the day. They just didn't publish for kids. So some of the people that I was sending this to were like, I love this. It would be perfect as a kid's book. We don't do kids books. Good luck to you. So those are my good rejection letters, but I got a bad rejection letter and I opened it one handed as I was holding a screaming colicky baby, uh, like about two days after being put on some very heavy duty medication for my depression. And I just sort of broke and was like, no more. I can't do this again. I know this has been my dream now for like at the time it had been almost 20 years at that point that I had been telling people I was going to be an author. Everyone always asked me about it. Grandparents, everybody, everybody, 
in my life knew that that's what I was going to be. I had, uh, even back in the day, we were kind of like poor, starving, just post students. Um, I had actually taken a year off to finish one of my novels and just sat in our little apartment for a year writing this book. And all the neighbors knew, oh, that girl next door, she never comes out of her house because she's writing a book and stuff. How's that book going? And oh, that book was rejected probably 90 times. Um, it's terrible. And so like, Everyone knew me as an author, and I just thought, but I can't. I'm so terrible. That guy was right. I only have a little bit of talent. I can't do this. I've been throwing away my life for so many years. And I told my husband I quit. And he's like, well, why don't you just you know, take a break? You work so hard. Every day, I forced myself to sit down and write at least a 1,000 words in a story I hated. And I had been doing that. Since even while I was in college, I, in between my homework, I was trying to hit writing goals and stuff. I had been going so hard for so long. And my husband's like, you just need, you just need a break. Get well. You're not well. The baby, who knows? He never stopped crying until he was like four years old. He's like, just fix the baby, fix you, just take a break. I'm like, no, I'm really serious. I just don't think I can ever do this again. And so he's like, well, just take a nap. You'll be fine and stuff like that. And I'm like, nope, I'm serious. And I went to like emphatically close my laptop like and show like no more I shall write never again and I I got to the halfway point where the laptop was about to shut off and I thought it was my aunt who decided to give me to the dragon and suddenly the whole book of dragon slippers which became my first published book just absolutely downloaded into my brain I knew everything I knew how it would end I knew the middle I knew all this stuff she was going to be a girl who doesn't want to grow up to be a princess and she doesn't want to cut her hair and be a knight she wants to be a dressmaker because her mom was a dressmaker and she's good at it too and so she decides to be a dressmaker but along the way she keeps having things like somebody tries to sacrifice her to a dragon you know so she has to deal with that business and then somebody steals some of her dressmaking designs and all these things that happen to her and she just wants to open her own dressmaking shop and be the dressmaker to the queen. That's all she wants and nobody will let her get, so she has to go out and fix things herself. Family tries to sacrifice her to a dragon, well I will deal with that later, you know, and so I just, this whole book and I'm like, this is so fun and it would be so funny and imagine if dragons, you know, everyone knows that dragons hoard gold, right? Well, what if you snuck into a dragon's cave, like, you know, like Bilbo trying to steal from Smaug and discovered that this dragon's cave is full of shoes or one dragon breeds very fancy dogs or one dragon rips the stained glass windows out of churches because he thinks the glass is so pretty. Like what if they hoard different stuff just the way people collect stuff? Like I collect dragons actually and, and have since I was a little kid. I have stuffed and earrings and, and pajamas and like the whole shebang and every dragon book ever written I've probably have it and have read it many times. And so I thought what if dragons collected people? You know, what if they had all different stuff the way we have different stuff? And I, I love this idea and I started to cry though because I'm like, I want to write this book so bad. This is the kind of book that I dreamed about writing as a little kid. If I write this down and someone tells me they don't like it, and someone accuses me of plagiarism because I know somebody else wrote a book about a dragon, I just thought I really would not be able to go on at that point. It really would just be like sort of the final blow, like crushing. And my husband was just really thought that I actually had just suddenly had an absolute breakdown and he's just like what what is it I'm like I want to write a book about talking dragons and he's like well listen he's like you're freaking me out so take 10 minutes write down whatever just happened to you and then like go to bed and so I did and then but for the next three months all I did I sat and balanced my baby with one hand and one hand had typed out and it it's the fastest I've ever written a book in my life but I basically wrote the rough draft of dragon slippers in just three months 
And I was like, I will just print out one copy and read it aloud to my kid if he ever stops crying long enough for him to listen to a story. I will read him the story. It would just be our family story. So I, I put my dog in it. My dog Pippin at the time, our little Maltese, she's in it. My sister's dog Zart was in it because he, he was this huge wolfhound that loved chocolate. I mean, he loved anything. He needed anything. But like, uh, he, he used to clean out whole Easter baskets, you know, stockings. He never got sick because he was like 110 pounds. It didn't matter to him. He could eat all the chocolate he wanted. So I put, you know, Zart the candy eating dog is in there. And my little dog Pippin is in there. And I just, I was just having fun with it. I, I named the prince after the doctor on ER that my husband accused me of having a crush on. So his name is Luca after the Croatian doctor on ER. And I just sort of was like having a good time. And it was the first time I'd had a good time, honestly, since I wrote the book about the warring elves in junior high. And so of course, everyone who talked to me, like, how are you doing? How's your baby? Listen, the baby, whatever. But let me tell you about these talking dragons. And I started telling everyone. And because I started telling everyone uh, and was so excited about this, you know, because for years I've been like, yeah, I'm working on a book. Yeah, I'm working on No, I don't want to talk about it right now. I don't want to talk about it at all. And uh, I told somebody in my book club and she's like, well, you know, there's a that sounds like a children's book and children's books were finally getting going. And there was actually a writing conference and there still is writing and illustrating for young readers, uh, which started at BYU and now is its own thing. Cause it's so huge and writing and illustrating for young readers, um, which I think it was like the second one or something even was going to be like the next week. This one, my book club's like, you should go to that because they have actually, they have actual live editors that are going to come in and you can tell them and read them the first page of your book. And I'm like, but I can't because if she says she doesn't like it, that means she doesn't like my dog, basically, you know, my dog is in this book, Kathleen. And so she's like, but you're in a room full of people. They're not going to go like, oh, that sucks in front of like 30 other authors. They have to be at least polite. And I'm like, oh, that's true. She will have to be polite because I'll be, have backup. I'll have 30 other people. So I did go to writing illustrating for young readers. And I went into one of the, they're called pitch sessions where you go around the table and you read the first page of your manuscript out loud. And the editor just sort of nods politely. And then if they want to see more, they just sort of contact you later secretly. So there's no bad feelings and it is very civilized and polite. And I was very excited and I went around and the uh, you know editor's just like mm, very nice and mm, very nice with everyone's story and stuff and came to me and I read it first page dramatically with voices it was my aunt who decided to give me to the dragon you know probably fake British accent going on there as well and after I was done she goes it looks like you have more pages in front of you I'm like oh I actually accidentally printed out the first chapter because I wasn't sure how many she's like well you could read another page so I ended up reading the first three pages of the book instead of just the first page. And afterwards she goes, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. And then we, when we broke for lunch, the person assisting her ran over and goes, this is her card, please send her the entire manuscript. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. But that's not my editor. <laughs> she, and I've never worked with that publisher even because as soon as I got done, the girl sitting next to me grabbed my arm and goes, I need to talk to you right now. And my honest first thought was, I really have plagiarized something. I, again, I ha still had a new baby. He never slept. I was on no sleep. I was on a lot of medication, still kind of struggling mentally. And I thought, I have literally regurgitated a book I have already read because I am so tired, I didn't realize it. And this girl knows, and she's caught me. What am I gonna do? And I'm just like, what? Yes, what is it? And she's like, your book is perfect. Is it finished? And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I mean, it was finished as in I'd written the end like the day before, but it was totally like, totally such a rough draft. 
And she's like, I am putting together a writer's retreat of just 20 people. We're going to fly this editor I know from Bloomsbury who published Shannon Hale, worked with her on Princess Academy. She is going to come out to Utah for a weekend and meet with people. And we're going to keep it to 20 people because we're going to send her like, like you can send the first chapter or like 20 pages to her. She's going to read it in advance, give you critiques in private. So like you can just, you know, be as honest as you want and she can too. And I just had someone back out. So I need $150. And I'm like, okay. And so I gave a total stranger $150 and she gave me an address to show up at in a couple of weeks and an email address that I emailed the first chapter of my story to. And looking back now, I'm like, wow, I was tired because zero questions asked about this person's credibility or even her last name. Her name is Amy. Why not? And so I gave someone named Amy $150 and she gave me an address and I showed up at this house. I could have been murdered. Who knows? And no, instead I met with an editor from Bloomsbury who was my editor for my first few books and as soon as and I got in the room and then I went like oh wait this is my worst fear she can totally sit me down and say this sucks and your dog is ugly because <laughs> she's read the first 30 pages of this book and there is no one else here and she does not have to be polite and I sit down with this total stranger in this room and she goes don't tell anyone else and I'm like okay yours is my favorite I love it I'm gonna make you an offer for it and I haven't even seen the rest of it and I'm like okay. <laughs> Will you excuse me? I have to go to the bathroom for just a minute. And I ran to the bathroom and called my husband and just sort of screamed into the phone. And he's like, good scream, bad scream. I'm like, good scream. And I went back in like all calm, like, well, hello. Yes. <laughs> and she's like, and uh, Amy said something like that you had mentioned to her. Like I, and I have no memories of this. Apparently I had talked Amy's ear off after that point. I have zero memories of this. Um, but I had told her all about my dog and my kid and, and the fact that this was the uh, eighth book that I had written. And so Melanie, my brand new editor is like, and so send me this. And then as soon as we're done with that, so this is like, what the 10th book? And I'm like, well, it's technically the eighth. She's like, so I want to see those other manuscripts. Let's get going. Let's do this thing. And I'm like, no, she's like, what? I'm like, no one can see those. And she's like, what? what? I'm like, they are terrible. She's like, oh, everyone thinks that, but let's look, look at them. I'm like, absolutely not. But I will write something new for you. And so the second I had written the end on Dragon Slippers, that rough draft, I was so excited that I had pulled out a bunch of my old notes. And I had for years been working on, um, I, my favorite fairy tale is East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which is sort of like Beauty and the Beast, except he's a polar bear. He's a polar bear by day and a man by night. And it's a Norwegian fairy tale and I grew up with it and it's my favorite. And I had notes, I had the back of like, I had on church programs, I had written in the side like some notes and like her name is and like question mark and all this stuff. And I'd saved it all in like a shoebox, and I pulled it out and I had started working on it already. And I just thought I had so much fun writing dragon slippers. Even if the only person who ever reads it is like my husband or my kid, I'm just gonna go ahead and do my own version of East of the Sun. And it became my second book, Sun and Moon, Ice and Snow. And I was so excited to be writing something that I loved that, um, especially back those first few manuscripts, um, my, I've never written a book in three months again, but, <laughs> and those first few books I had spent years working on now, it was just like, oh, I have this amazing idea. And it just, it, the writing just flows. It just works. Um, and I have had writer's block and I've had difficulties in books that I've had to scrap, you know, since then because they just weren't turning out. But especially that initial idea, the first chapter and stuff just always is so fun to write. And it just works so well because every one of my books, I just sit down and go, 
what would be cool? <laughs> like, what would be fun to write about? What is a book that I wish I had had as a kid? Like, you know, I love horses. I always wanted a horse, but I never really wanted to shovel their poop or have to get up at the crack of dawn. But, and I, I was always scared. I used to read a lot of horse books, but I was always scared reading them because honestly, in more than half of them, the horse died. And so I had written my own story about a girl and her horse. And of course the horse was named after one of my My Little Ponies. I have like 70 My Little Ponies still to this day in a bin. And, um, so I had started in that Cabbage Patch Kid journal. I had written a little couple of pages about this girl and her horse and they're telepathically bonded and her horse's name Blossom after one of my first Milo ponies. And um, no, it's Bluebell. Sorry. Sorry, Bluebell. Anyway, uh, so I had, I had started this story and I thought, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing if you were someone that loved horses too? to find out that not only can you hear horses' thoughts, but there is basically your horse, the horse that you are bonded to, that you're meant to be with. And almost like a love story with this girl and her horse. And and every time, and that's what happens every time I sit down, like I think, what if you grew up in an actual magic castle? Not a castle that's magical because wizards live in it, but an honest to goodness, like magical castle. Like, what would that be like? What would that look like? You know, what if your family, and it's just sort of like, oh yeah, mundane to you. Like, yeah, sometimes all the staircases turn into slides and you have to try and crawl up them and stuff like that. That's like boring to you. But you know, if somebody else came to visit the castle, it'd be so cool and fascinating to them. And it'd be so fun to write about all the different things the castle can do. And that's where each of my books come from. Instead of writing what I think is going to be popular. Instead of writing what I think is going to get me the praise of, of weird professors with big mustaches, you know, I stopped doing that. I stopped thinking, oh, what would be popular? What would make me a lot of money? What might win a Pulitzer or something like, actually that's never crossed my mind, but I know it does some people. But uh, what would, you know, what would win awards or something like that? I just always think instead, what would be fun to read? What would be fun to write about? What if I wrote the story set in Romania, but I don't know a lot about Romania, except it's Transylvania is involved in Romania. so. Maybe I'm going to have to do research on Romania. That will be so fun. I'm going to read everything I can find about Romania. And I ended up going to Romania for my book, Silver in the Blood, for several weeks. And I discovered some things. Romania is amazing. It is fascinating. It has a rich history. It has the best castles in the world. I've seen Dracula's toilet. Dracula had a toilet. The food was terrible. I don't know if it was just where we were eating or what, but the food was terrible. But Romania was amazing. And I got to have that experience because I wanted to write a book in the style of Dracula set in Romania. And I decided to go out and do it. And I did not bother to check if my editor was interested. And I did not bother to check if other people would buy that book. I just went for it. And your writing, your creativity shows the difference between the book I had written just before Dragon Slippers and Dragon Slippers is phenomenal. It's not just that it's about kids. The entire style, the feel of the book, even my grammar is better in Dragon Slippers because I'm writing from a place of love instead of a place of duty. And who was my duty to? I have no idea. But I was writing from a place of, I want to be published by hook or by crook. And so I'm just going to turn this out and see if I can get an award for it because it's a grown-up book, right? And grown-up books get awards. So instead, I started writing from a place of love and I started writing from a place of fascination and a place of what if 
actual what if questions I have. What if you lived in a magic castle? What if your older brother was a wizard? What if you found out your family were all shapeshifters or something like that? And that is where I start with my books and I write them with love and I write them with interest. And the difference between that and writing to fill a contract or writing to try and be popular is so marked. You can absolutely see it in my early, my early stuff, which no one will ever see, but I can see it. <laughs> the, the difference is absolutely so marked. So that, that is what I think everyone needs to do. I don't care what your job is. If it is something that interests you, if any aspect of it interests you, you're going to be so much better at it than if you think, well, I need to earn money. And we all do need to earn money so we can eat and have a place to sleep. But um, find out what's fascinating about your job. I mean, there's aspects of writing that are not fun. There's aspects of editing that are just absolutely not fun. And there's deadlines that are exhausting and things like that. But for the most part, I have found the things that I'm passionate about in it. And that's what I love. And that's what makes me keep sitting down in my chair in my office and working. I am Doug Gardner, and this has been the People in Their Work podcast. Music by Christopher Weiss. Images are from the UVU Roots of Knowledge stained glass exhibit by Holdman Studios. <laughs>